You're listening to Giro Vagando, the cycling podcast at the 2022 Giro d'Italia, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Today we are in Messina. Well, Lionel, where are we? Can you hear, hark the lapping waves? Oh, the water lapping against the rocky shore. I mean, this is idyllic, isn't it? We're in Silla. We've come across from Sicily on the ferry. This feels like I'm on holiday. Incredible, isn't it? Lionel, I alluded to this yesterday. I don't think we were recording at the time, but are you a student of Homer? Homer Simpson? No. <laughs> the, the Odyssey? Well, Silla, of course, I know is the very headlines. famous from the Odyssey. Um, Silla was a sea monster. Um, well, t- she was turned. She was a marine nymph who Cersei the witch turned into a monster with heads in place of legs and a snake's tail. And wow. on the other side of the Strait of Messina was Charybdis. Caridi. It was a sea monster that caused a whirlpool, and Odysseus in the Odyssey had to navigate between Scylla and Charybdis. And he decided, I think he decided, to sort of veer closer to Scylla, lost six men in the end. But this gave rise to a phrase that's still used in, in Italian, and I think in other languages. When we talk in English about being between a, a rock and a hard place, or between, what is it, the the devil and the deep blue sea. Yeah. In Italian, you talk about being between Scylla and Charybdis. Well, it will soon be safe to go back in the water here, won't it? Because Vincenzo Nibali announced that he will retire at the end of the season. He is, of course, the son of Messina, the shark of Messina, Lo Squalo. And after a glorious career, really, Vincenzo Nibali will retire at the end of 2022. We'll talk about that towards the end of this episode. In our little video, our teaser video that we did this evening while we were crossing the Strait of Messina, we alluded to the bridge that has never been built, which we allude to every year when we cross the Strait of Messina. And one of the reasons why it's not been built are the currents in that Strait of Messina, which looks from the boat look like a pretty innocuous and, and certainly short stretch of water. But in fact, there is more than a grain of truth, I think, in the mythology around Scylla and Charybdis because it is quite treacherous, the Straits of Messina. So it looks like a paddling pool, but actually it's a whirlpool. Exactly. Well, there we go. I should say, Daniele Fribrancini, you've Thank done you. a... I meant to introduce you as Daniele Fribrancini, new to the podcast yesterday. Of course, in Hungary, we had Daniel Freib standing in very ably. Freib, still pronounced wrong. Freiber, uh, it should be. Anyway. Well, you know, I'm sure he doesn't mind. Our style. I do think after the kilometer zero on Hungarian politics, Daniel Freiber has got a very fine future as a current affairs reporter oh, ahead of him. <laughs> Daniele Fribrancini is more at home talking about cannoli and, uh, and currents. And gorgeous <laughs> sweeping views over the Tyrrhenian Sea. Indeed. Shall we get on to the what tale of the tapper? Is though, it? I mean, if anyone's been to the Cinque Terre, much further up the Tyrrhenian coast in Liguria, the scene here, so we're just over the Strait of Messina on the mainland. This is almost, this is really the first kind of resort, isn't it? And it's a beautiful little cove overlooked by the castle of Silla. And yeah, I'm afraid words 
podcasters don't really do it justice. But we'll be posting some pictures later, which will make you absolutely spit with envy. Well, I should say, just just at the apartment next to us, I don't know what these guys are doing, sort of late middle-aged guys gathered around for a bit of a Wednesday evening meeting. They've got hammers, they've been banging something quite loudly. So if you do hear some hammering in the background, shattering the idyllic peace here, uh, I do apologise about that. But the tale of the Tapper, Daniel, stage five, Catania to Messina, 174 kilometres. We knew it would be a sprint stage, but it was a sprint stage with a difference, wasn't it? Because there was this 19.6 kilometre long climb of the second category, Portella Mandrazzi, just before the halfway mark. And, well, the early break, I mean, it was kind of just a sort of, you know, semicolon in, in proceedings today, really, wasn't it? But it did have five riders in it. Mattia Bias and Filippo Taliani again the drone hopper riders the third time they've been sent up the road together by Gianni Savio in this Giro beautifully orchestrated by the mustachioed ringmaster <laughs> Meister Savio should we hear from him Gianni yesterday I know that well you did, you weren't angry with your riders but you didn't manage oh. to get anyone in the break um, today what is the model law to make sure that doesn't happen so first of all uh, I was not angry because uh, it's not possible all the day to be in breakaway. Uh, to be in breakaway is not so easy. So today is important. Today is important for the reason that we, we, we want to increase the classment in uh, kilometer in breakaway and uh, in uh, traguardi volanti. So in Modulo, what is it? Modulo is a two and a, and a six. Because today we have no, unfortunately, we have no the sprinter because our two sprinter, Edward Grosu and Jonathan Restrepo, they are not here in the Giro because they have had a crash. We're in Sicily, you need a, a Toto Schilacci, a bomber like ah, Schilacci. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, he, he was. Uh, I, I remember uh, Toto Schilacci, he was a very good bomber in the national team and also in Juventus. Gianni there responding to my prompting about Toto Schilacci, the hero of the 1990 World Cup, who was from Palermo, not Catania. If you want to know more about Toto Schilacci, look up our episode on the 1990 Giro in our Giro, our series of podcasts during the COVID lockdown. We talked a lot about the 1990 World Cup, didn't we? It was called Magic Nights, that episode. It was, indeed. I think, talking of Magic Nights, I think your assignment for the next couple of days, or maybe tomorrow, is to find out from Gianni whether Bias and Taliani are roommates here on this Giro, because they... Do they go down... I hope if they are, their nights aren't too magic. (laughs) Well, oh, no! Oh, my sunglasses have gone in the water. <laughs> Both of us have lost our sunglasses today. Lionel just oh. fell backwards, rocked backwards laughing, and, and the sunglasses fell off his head and landed in the Tyrrhenian Sea and were floating towards Scylla and Charybdis <laughs> as we speak. Maybe Los Squalo will rescue them for me. They'll I'm come sorry, back with a big. At least come you back did with... reveal earlier that you only ever go for cheap sunglasses. I do these days so because frequently. I lose them so frequently. Oh, yeah. Lionel. Oh. Anyway, do sight. I can see your sunglasses <laughs> sinking to the bottom of the do ocean. Do you know? I think I could probably get those. I could get those. 
I'm going to wade in there after we've recorded and get them. Look, there's some steps there. I can go down. I can wade across here. It's only waist deep. It'd be fine. Anyway, um, do Bias and Taliani go to the buffet together at, at breakfast? You know, um, do they sit next to each other on the bus? Daniel, stop looking for my sunglasses. Anyway, they weren't the only two riders in the break, were they? They were joined by uh, Alessandro Tonelli of Bardiani and Mirko Maestri of Eolo Cometa. Uh, so far, so normal with the Italian wildcard teams sending riders up the road. They were joined by one world tour rider, AG2R's Jaco Henenen of Finland. And, well, when we got to the climb, or when they got to the climb, we didn't get to the climb, but the riders did, the big news was that Caleb Ewan was dropped, Mark Cavendish was dropped, and this really put the Belgian teams out the back, didn't it, for most of the day. Arno Demar was briefly dropped as well, but crucially, he got back on, and then we had this sort of enormous chase. The quick step group was at a couple of minutes, the Lotto Sudal group was at four minutes, and at the front of the Peloton group, Armour, Israel, Premier Tech, and Alpacin Fenix were driving with UAE Team Emirates in close attendance as well. At some point in the last sort of 50 kilometres, basically they, they gave up the chase, didn't they? They knew they weren't going to get back on. There was a little bit of drama at the intermediate sprint where Joao Almeida went for some time bonus seconds. And then it came down to the finish. And Arno Demar, very impressive lead out by Group Armour FDJ. And Demar uh, added to his collection of Giro stage wins. And his collection of Giro stage wins in Messina. Because he won here a couple of years ago. That's right. Fernando almost Ge- identical state or very, very similar stage. Fernando Gaviria second. Giacomo Nixolo of Israel Premier Tech third. Davide Ballerini, who got his chance to sprint for Quickstep Alpha Vinyl, was fourth. And Biniam Gamay rounded out the top five. No real change overall, except Almeida did jump above Peo Bilbao, thanks to that time bonus. He's now seventh overall instead of eighth. Trex Juan Pedro Lopez will have another day in pink tomorrow. Most likely that will fall the way of the sprinters again. Damar is now in the very elegant Chiclamino jersey. Kemner is still in the King of the Mountains jersey. And Lopez is still the best young rider. But that will be worn again by Mary Van Sevenant. And that was that for stage five. And that's that for my sunglasses. Oh my they go the way. Of, we're definitely going sunglasses shopping tomorrow. They go the way of my Adidas Gazelles from uh, the Tour de France cobbled stage a number of years ago. In fact, the year that Vincenzo Nibali won the Tour, I think that was 2014. Oh, I still haven't forgotten. Still gassing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights, and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. The Cycling Podcast, powered by Supersapiens. Thank you very much to Supersapiens for sponsoring the Cycling Podcast. Daniel, today my blood glucose profile resembled today's race route. Very flat, but with a big spike roughly in the middle, because today I had a very small breakfast... And then at the motorway services, we had what was basically a very white bready lunch, wasn't it? A sort of focaccia type bread uh, with some, what was in there? There was some courgette, there was some aubergine, tomato. It was very nice, but I have already identified that I don't respond too well to really refined white carbohydrates like white bread, white pasta, especially in the middle of the day. Maybe it's because in the evening, the, the sort of spike and the dip doesn't affect me so much because I go to bed. Um, but it was no surprise that I nodded off this afternoon while you were at the wheel, Daniel. 
Um, and it's been really interesting matching my blood glucose levels to my feeling and how I perceive my energy levels to be during the day. I kind of knew I was due a dip and I could feel it coming. And then I looked at the data and there it was. Um, really quite interesting. I'm looking forward to hearing what Christina from the University of Verona makes of this. Um, I've already kind of cut out a lot of white bread and, and white pasta from my diet because I had noticed this trend. Um, but there wasn't a lot of choice today. So what could be done? Uh, anyway, if you want to find out more about Super Sapiens, go to supersapiens.com. Well, Daniel, Arno Demar was second at Balaton Fured back in Hungary, behind Mark Cavendish, of course, on Sunday. So perhaps no surprise that with no Cavendish in the picture today, Demar got himself across the line first. have to say the lead-out was very good from Groupama FDJ, but no Jacopo Guarnieri in there to do his usual lead-out job because he was dropped on the climb. Yeah, they did a very good job, though. It was a, an intriguing race or route today and an intriguing profile. We've seen race organisers go with this sort of configuration quite a lot in the last few years. One big climb in the middle of the stage. And it sets up a really exciting sort of well, challenge between the really pure sprinters who struggle on climbs or can struggle on climbs and the guys who are a little bit more versatile, such as Demar. And sure enough, today couple of the the big guns as far as sprinting is concerned Cavendish and Ewan were dropped and and Group Armour FDJ among other teams Israel Startup Nation as well deserves some credit and um, they really turned the screw didn't they on Cavendish and it was very close to the point at which were want side of the equation either the peloton or the group behind um, they raised the the white flag for a long time it was sort of around about two minutes the gap and anything less than two minutes and i think group Armour and israel and the other teams that were working would have probably resigned themselves to the fact that cavendish was coming back any more you know two and a half minutes three minutes and cavendish and his wolf pack would have had a pretty easy decision to make and they would have sat up particularly bearing in mind that tomorrow is likely to be a sprint however it was this this quite tense battle between the smaller group behind and the bigger group in front for a lot of the stage, wasn't it? And, you know, sacrificing Guarnieri, well, that was a price that was worth paying in the end, wasn't it? Because on the run into Messina, well, it wasn't particularly technical. We saw the roads, didn't we, Lionel? They were fairly wide. You know, there the was... There were still challenges with positioning in the last kilometre or so, and the road was also slightly downhill. But... Demar ultimately didn't need that full lead-out train. He's been good on downhill, slightly downhill finishes before, and his timing today was perfect. It's been a, a difficult season for him so far. He hadn't won a race so far, um, had some issues. We, we heard from Guadagnieri the other day about some of the issues the team has had with illness, particularly the, the lead-out train has had various setbacks this year. They've had to train sort of scattered all around Europe, also leading up to this Giro d'Italia. But... Finally, Demar got his stage win. He got one stage win in 2019. Of course, in 2020, he got four stage wins, which equaled a French record. Bernal Hinault was the only other Frenchman to win four stages on a Giro. There was a suspicion during that 2020 Giro, though, that it was slightly decaffeinated, wasn't it? Because it came after the Tour de France, after lockdown, uh, perhaps wasn't the level of opposition there. Um, but there's a really good field of sprinters here, isn't there? I mean, Gaviria blows hot and cold, doesn't he? We know he's had his issues with COVID. He had issues in the in the finale today, didn't he? With uh, I think 
He touched wheels with someone and lost some momentum, certainly. Certainly, he had problems with his derailleur. He said, uh, yeah, someone's wheel touched me from behind. It's really frustrating. But I had problems with my derailleur in the end. I couldn't get in the gear that I needed. So, uh, I mean, he didn't say it cost him victory. He said DeMar was very strong anyway. But, um, no, it is a good field of sprinters here. And to put two of them out the back door very early on in the stage and then not give them any glimmer of hope of getting back because that gap really didn't come down significantly enough did it I mean there was some quite quite a lot of um, heft behind the chase uh, quick step alpha vinyl had numbers back there but the pressure was on at the front and there was a lot of cooperation from uh, a number of teams just to keep that pace high and of course you know the big group um, with more riders rolling through, always going to have a huge advantage over the smaller group. But uh, no, DeMar obviously enjoys the Jira. That's his sixth stage win here. And Lionel, he prepared for the Jira in Sicily. Um, had a, a training camp there a few weeks ago. Was apparently quite aggrieved when he first arrived by the conditions of some of the roads, the traffic, um, or some of the other slightly well less easy to appreciate aspects of Sicily, as well as the many gorgeous and beautiful admirable aspects of life in Sicily um, but by all accounts he had a good training camp came into this jury with good form indeed he says he's had good form all year things just haven't quite clicked for him but they started to today and he's going now what he did mention in his post-race interviews the Ciclamino jersey which now becomes an objective as well as other stage wins yeah we'll talk a bit more about the light and shade of sicily in the final part of today's podcast but just to wrap up the sprint finish giacomo nitsolo of israel premier tech decent third place ballerini who is quick um in most circumstances but obviously not quick enough for damar today and of course didn't have really any help so he was more or less on his own uh, it may in fact have been entirely on his own uh, i think mary van Sevenant have made that front group um but of course van Sevenant is uh not exactly a lead out man extraordinaire uh, he's very well placed overall of course and still wearing the white jersey if only on loan and Gamay now when Gamay came very close on stage one I wondered whether the flatter finishes might be more to his suiting but perhaps he needs it to be a bit harder I don't know yeah we talked about his positioning the other day didn't we how good it was and how good it is generally but today he was squeezed on the barriers on the right hand side probably through no real fault of his own but he doesn't he certainly doesn't have a train here that can take control of the race in the closing kilometres in the way that maybe Demars can and it, it, Antel Marche also weren't one of the teams who were well they weren't one of the main teams doing the grunt work to to ultimately guillotine Cavendish and the Wolfpack out of the equation. One of two Eritrean riders in the top 10 though because Natnel Tetsfasion of Drone Hopper was in 8th position. A really, uh, well, good result that really well, for Drone Hopper. Yeah, and especially for a rider who really is thought of as a climber, Tetsfasion. I mean, it was clearly down to Bias and Taliani being in the break, you know, tactically an absolute masterstroke from Savio. That's Seb PK, the voice of Radio Talk, to remind me to tell you that this episode is sponsored by GCN Plus. And you can watch every single attack of the Giro d'Italia, every single drone hopper move, because GCN are showing every kilometre of every stage. And you can watch on-demand highlights and full stage replays whenever you want. Go to GCN 
eu slash cycling pod and you can get 25% off an annual GCN plus subscription if you are in the UK or US we'll put those details in the show notes but I've been watching a lot of the GCN plus coverage today because we were in the car when we had the commentary coming out through the speakers and, and I, when you were driving Daniel I was watching on my phone I have to say Robbie McEwen has been an excellent addition to their commentary lineup. Um, very insightful but I was also thinking about how many connections there are between GCN's team and the cycling podcast because of course Orla Shenoui hosts the cycling podcast Feminine for us and if you remember when Adam Blythe had just retired and was starting to eye up a career as a media giant he made a six-part series of interviews for us Daniel you shared a house with Rob Hatch one of the lead commentators I was telling you a story about that today wasn't I about how when Rob Hatch moved out in 2016 (laughs) he left his mattress and because (laughs) it wasn't well we were too late to arrange a the council for the council to pick up the mattress i had to chop it into little pieces little cubes um well with scissors <laughs> with tiny little hand scissors and then dis- deposit the the fragments of mattress all around northeast london i'm not sure bins. i'm not sure this this portrays either gcn or the cycling podcast in a terrific no, light more but you about did more about waste disposal later in the episode indeed actually. I, I'm very responsible of you though uh you also had shared custody of an indoor plant that you called, called marco, marco plantani, plantani. Yeah, and way back before we'd even pressed record for the first episode of the cycling podcast, I ghost wrote Sean Kelly's autobiography. Um, that feels like a third of my career ago, but uh, that is a really formidable team. So you can watch the whole Giro on GCN Plus every pedal rev, and as I say, you won't miss a single moment if you so wish. GCN.eu/cyclingpod. Daniel, the young Spaniard in the pink jersey had a fairly routine day Trek Segafredo were always in the right position for the GC uh, leaders team kind of just following the page one of the how to defend the pink jersey on a flat stage manual uh, no dramas for him this at all today Spaniard, Spaniard has a name as well Lionel he does indeed <laughs> Juan P. Lopez had you, had you momentarily forgotten his no. name? No, <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't hadn't. His name had just fallen out of my head into the sea along with my <laughs> along with my sunglasses. No, Juan Pedro Lopez Perez, in fact, if you want to include his mother's yeah, uh, no name as well. No, I know no one does, but they do on the TV graphics, I think, don't they? Well, he did have a, a fairly untroubled day, as far as we, we know, anyway. And this morning, Lionel, well, I went in search of one of the... One of the individuals who's contributed or significantly to the development, Juanpe Lopez, and that is not Alberto Contador, although as we said yesterday, Juanpe Lopez is one of the riders who has been sort of touted as a new Contador, the next Contador. But Contador's brother, Fran Contador, who's very much the brains behind the Eolo, one of the brains behind the Eolo Cometa team, formerly known as the Polatec Cometa team, in which Juanpe Lopez raced in 2018 here's Frank Contador about Juanpe Lopez and whether it has been frustrating to see Juanpe Lopez and some other big Spanish talents notably Carlos Rodriguez and Emric Mas apply their trade in other teams one of your former riders well uh, a rider you know very well Juanpe Lopez is in the pink jersey are you surprised first of all to, to see him leading the Giro d'Italia I'm not, I'm not surprised because, uh, yeah, we, we worked uh, with uh, Juanpe from 2015 in the junior category, three, three years in the under-23 category and also one year in the Conti category. 
and after immediately he 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 went to to Texegafredo. Um, we know uh, we know perfectly uh, the talent of uh, Juanpe. Um, he worked uh, very hard from the young categories. Um, uh, we uh, and we we knew that uh, if all goes well, uh, he he will go in the in the top with the with the best climber of uh, of the world. So it's not a surprise for us. Uh, we are very happy for seeing him in uh, in pink. Is it a little bit frustrating that, well, your team is a team that is discovering young talents, but then, well, until now, at a certain point, you've sort of had to say goodbye to them and they've gone to the World Tour. Um, I know that in the future, you hope that doesn't happen, that you hope that this team is going to grow, but is there a little bit of frustration at seeing him in another team? Of course. Uh, it's frustrating now because, uh, yeah, it's not only Juanpe. Also, the case of Carlos Rodriguez, uh, Enrique Mas. Uh, and uh, a lot of uh, other uh, riders go out uh, because until uh, last year we we haven't the, the Conti Pro team, uh, but um, uh, yeah, uh, uh, um, we hope uh, in the future also to give a new step and to be a World Cup team if it's possible or a team with more budget. For uh, keeping all these riders, all the, this talent, we are very convinced that the, we do a very good job in the in the young categories. Uh, we we see that the World Tour teams uh, uh, study all our riders. Uh, are very, they are very interesting in our riders always, um, and we hope to to have the opportunity also. Uh, we will have now uh, the the possibility to give the opportunity to to some of uh, our young talents, but and others uh, will go out uh, of course. So also well. Uh, this is uh, we work like this from 2013 and we will continue well and it's a point we've made about one of the other teams here world tour team that they've developed a lot of fantastic riders only to see them leave and thrive excel be successful elsewhere team dsm that's happened to them on a number of occasions hasn't it but of late in the last few weeks things have started to look up for Team DSM, not least because their leader here, Roman Bardet, is starting to really ride very well indeed, and he's he's well up on general classification here, isn't he? Not only that, here's what Richie Port said at the finish yesterday about, well, you're about to hear what Richie Port thinks of Roman Bardet at this Giro d'Italia. But you know, I think Bardet is uh, probably the dark horse here. You know, he's, he's looking great. Well, it's a fact of the peloton, isn't it? That the, the bigger fish eat the smaller fish. I mean, and then the shark eats everybody. And uh, DSM have been in a position where they've developed talent and then seen it disappear to other teams. And this is a real departure from that. Signing a an established veteran, really, um, bona fide grand tour rider who has a string of top 10 performances behind him been on the podium at the tour de france at least a couple of times was seventh in the giro last year but i mean that was a real kind of slow burn of a giro for Bardet, wasn't it because he had a pretty tricky start and he just clawed himself up the gc he was sort of into the top 10 at the start of the uh, or at the end of the second week and then he kept just climbing 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 got himself up to fifth um, on the penultimate stage and then slipped back another couple of places in the time trial into Milan. Um, so what, you, uh, what you're getting at here is that Richie Port's right. I think He is a dark horse. Uh, well, why wouldn't he be? I mean, there's so much climbing in the final week. 
You know, he's good uphill. He's very good downhill as well, which is just as critical when those mountain stages um, are just so mountainous. We've seen him win Tour de France stages with kind of a, a sort of strategic approach, you know, picking his moments very well. Um, it's just whether or not he can avoid difficulties between now and the really crucial part of the race. This is this is a phase where he just needs to be quiet and, and safe and sensible and, and not you know suffer any misfortune and if he can get through 10 11 days of this race and be in a really good position on the shoulder going into the final week why not and what's really interesting about about Bardet this season is that against the backdrop of well various riders have left the SM amid speculation that you know the the team's modus operandi is not for them that it's too severe it's too strict against that backdrop Bardet has gone there and he, well, he's been there for almost 18 months now and he has appeared to be very happy in fact he gave an interview with L'Equipe a few days ago or a couple of weeks ago in which he said that the team has suited him perfectly not only that the team has changed him in the sense that he has become a lot more relaxed he's not demanding quite as much from his entourage he's not putting as much pressure on his entourage and on the very specialists that he's sort of enlisted to try to improve his performances and the team are also not putting quite as much pressure on him and he has found his happy place on that Lionel I spoke this morning to Matt Winston who is one of the I think they call them coaches at DSM don't they but he's to all intents and purposes a direct sportive but he's also Roman Bardet's coach about this happy marriage between the two DSM Bardet and what they expect from each other here at the Giro um, I think when we when we spoke to Roman before we came to the team we also told him a lot about kind of the way we work and it's about the, the process and we want to as an athlete we want to take the pressure away from him so that when he comes on the bike, he's only thinking about bike racing. He's not busy with all kinds of other things about yeah, uh, equipment or nutrition. It's, it's been set out. And, and for us, when you get into the race, the only thing you should be thinking about is the bike race and not stopping for changing saddles and this isn't working and that's not working. And that's something that we work super hard on with our experts and Roman, felt like that would be a real nice step for him where he can just yeah like you say just delegate it to the experts obviously works with them uh, all of the time he's, he gives his feedback but we do those moments outside of the race so that he can have proper meetings sit down at home nice and relaxed have a contact with the with the expert discuss changes discuss ways of working and then we implement it in the races i mean he also said that on reflection he thinks he's been quite difficult to coach or to manage or he was maybe at AG2R and with you guys he's been different as well and he, he has been able to let go and and as I say delegate yeah really we really enjoy working together I think uh, we've not seen any of that he he brings his points and we discuss them we find a solution and then and then we move forward so it's a really good way of working it's a dynamic way of working and for sure he has input in the plan a lot of input in the plan and then we have a discussion we fix the plan and then we we go with it uh, we go with it together we're just focusing on the goals that are coming up we've got some really exciting goals this season and also as we work towards kind of the his future development he's he's kind of in his 30s now but still like you say you see the steps that he's made on the tt bike and all those kind of things so we're still we're still developing and i think that also really excites him so yeah we we just keep focusing on on now what's the goal here 
Did you, were you put a number by a result or podium or? Yeah, I think like for, for most races, like we, we do really focus on uh, kind of on the process and coming for the next step. But this is the Grand Tour, first Grand Tour of the season. And we've made no secret that we come here to race for GC. Uh, and we're bike racers. So, you know, we're here because we want to do a very good result. What we can, uh, yeah, what, what, we, what happens come Verona, who knows? You never know in a, in a Grand Tour. But yeah, we would, we would like to push for a podium. Well, there wasn't too much on the GC front to discuss. Well, there's nothing to discuss today. Was the line? Oh, there come was... on, Joao Almeida won. A, what was it? You know, a 0.2 second time bonus, which could be all the difference when it gets to Verona. I don't know. No, there wasn't a lot of uh, GC action. Um, there was some. Um, well, there were a few inquests, weren't there? Well, into what resetting, recalibration. But as I found out from speaking to Addy Engels, sports director at Jumbo Visma, actually the recalibration was already in place before um, the, the sort of mini collapse of Tom Dumoulin and to a lesser degree Tobias Foss. Um, I mean, we've talked about whether or not de Moulin was coming into this duo at quite the level that he needed to be. Um, perhaps they were hoping that he could get through today and then be a bit better on Friday and then a bit better by Blockhouse. And, and you know, we know the importance of being good in the final week. And I think that the um, the size of the time loss has really uh, ridden the coach and horses through Jumbo Visma's strategy. And so the resetting, well, well, let's hear from Adi Engels because I spoke to him at the start in Catania this morning. Well, Adi, you've had overnight to reflect on the stage to Etna. How do you feel about it this morning? Of course, it was uh, not, not what we hoped for. But this morning, I still, uh, I, I again feel okay. And, uh, and we, we have to look forwards. Yeah, like I said, not what we hoped for, of course, was a disappointment yesterday. And then you reflect, you look back, but in the end, there's also not much we can do. I mean, even if we can analyze what's the problem, what, what, I, what I can't at the moment, then still we, we, we have to continue. And uh, we have another stage again today, and we have a lot more to come. Uh, the good thing is that uh, uh, we had good spirit uh, this morning in the bus. And uh, the good thing is also we have two days, more or less, hopefully, to uh, to refocus a bit, uh, or at least to 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 get by without too much difficulties norm- normally, and then we have to see. I mean, uh, yeah, let's hope it was more like uh, like an incident, and that the guys can, uh, and then for sure, uh, uh, Sam and uh, and Tobias, uh, who of course did lose time, but still are in the game. And for Tom, it's uh, yeah, it's a bit different. Of course, he he lost way more time, and I think yeah, for him, it's really important to to take a few days, yeah, not off. Uh, you have to do the stages, you have to race, but yeah, try to reset and try to refocus, and then uh, also try to improve because that's also necessary. What we saw yesterday, and then see what's possible later on. Tom and Tobias had a, an altitude training camp, I believe, in Tenerife before the Giro. Were there any indications that perhaps they weren't quite on the right level for the start of the race? Not like the performance of yesterday, no. Uh, but uh, yeah, there were doubts. I mean, we, uh, we, we, we came to the Giro with GC ambitions, but we, we, we never put a result on it. Because it was, yeah, I mean, the way to the Giro was not, uh, was not the best eh, for n- both not for Tom uh, as, as for Tobias. Uh, so that was a bit like uh, a question mark. Um, but still, 
it, yeah, it, it, it still was a disappointment yesterday. Sometimes when a GC leader loses time like that, the temptation is to carry on riding like a GC rider and seeing what comes. How do you think you'll play it? Have you had chance to think about what you'll do as a team over the next, you know, the next week, the next two weeks of the Giro? I think the, for Tom the focus will, will change. Uh, he's already, yeah, he's, he's really far already. Um, and I think for him it's also, it's also not the guy to, to keep chasing, I think, uh, a 10th place in GC uh, over three weeks. I think for him it's more interesting and, uh, to lose more and then try to improve during the race. I mean, he still has got a lot of class and talent and I'm sure he's able to improve. Um, and then try to, uh, to pick a few really nice days to, uh, to show himself again. For, for some and Tobias, I think they still continue in the same way. Um, they're too close to, to go in front. Uh, yes, they lost some time, but I think, yeah, also looking to, to other years. Um, Almeida last year had a difficult start, lost five, six minutes, I think, uh, and, 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 and was in the end uh, good in GC. Same for us. We lost time in the beginning, so we still have that focus also. And, and we have again a big, uh, a big day, I think, on, uh, on Blockhouse. And then we see again if we continue like that or if we also change uh, the, the, the strategy with them. My last question. As a manager and a sports director and your sports directing team, do you quite enjoy the fact that now you have an opportunity to, to ask something different of some of the other riders? You, you have almost like a clean... Uh, a clean slate, we call it in English. You, you can you can try something different. Yes, the original plan may be out the window, but now you have to come up with something new. Um, or is it too soon uh, to to say that? Actually, it's a bit late because we tried already yesterday, and and that's also because of the the question marks that were there. I mean, uh, if we really thought uh, that everything was was perfect in preparation and we were ready to to win the Giro we would not be in the break yesterday with a guy like Gijs Lehmreiser so we already had some opportunities we we kept them already open for for those guys to try to uh, to show themselves and to make their result so that also that doesn't change much actually uh, yeah maybe there's a little bit more space but when it would be uh, also yesterday yeah we thought it would be a good day for the break and, and it was and, uh, and we try to be in and we will continue like that as well but only on days when we think it is interesting well the most interesting thing i took from what addy angle said there was uh, the fact that the clue was already there for us yesterday Hayes limraiser the jumbo visma rider that was in the break yesterday wasn't there as a kind of an advanced move you know anticipating perhaps foss or de moulin doing something further up the slopes of no, it was really an insurance policy, and I suppose we didn't really pick up on that yesterday. No, but as discussed yesterday, we suspected it because we had some intel before the Giro that things weren't going perhaps as the team had wanted, had hoped in their pre-Giro camp at Tenerife. They weren't hitting the numbers that, you know, let's face it, most of the physiologists, most of the coaches on the teams nowadays, they know exactly what numbers need to be produced in order to be competitive at these, at these Grand Tours. And, you know... Should they need to guess or should they require confirmation? They only have to look at, you know, often some of the riders are posting rides on Strava that kind of reveal how well they are or aren't going. And I think, well, what I gather was that 
they they were fairly confident that Dumoulin and Tobias Foss weren't quite at the level they needed to be to contend for victory here, which is not to say that they didn't hope that it could still be a very good Giro for those two riders. Yeah, and I mean, the problem for them was that the climb to Etna, 22 kilometres long, is not one that you can bluff. I mean, if it had been a shorter climb, less of a long effort, they might have come away with a smaller time loss and, and all would not be lost as far as the GC goes. But it's an interesting one, that, isn't it? How do they now salvage something from the Giro? Maybe we'll see De Moulin in breaks in the final week. And sort of even without, well, as um, Adi Engel said, if he loses more time now, that gives him more freedom later on. So um, perhaps a, a Giro of two halves for De Moulin. The Cycling Podcast at the 2022 Giro d'Italia is supported by Science and Sport. Science and Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much to Science and Sport. Now, the idea of a cannoli-flavoured energy gel has been really catching on. People love the idea. I mean, it sounds absolutely perfect to me. But Science and Sport's products are for performance. And no better example of that than the Beta Fuel range, which was created in 2018 and became a key part of Chris Froome's long-range attack on the famous Stage 19, which clinched him the Giro that year because he was going to be up the road for so long that fueling was going to be absolutely key. And fueling without having to eat and digest um, was the key. They calculated, you know, the optimum amount of carbohydrate that the body can absorb and make use of in a particular period of time and design the beta fuel to meet that need and beta fuel is now available for any cyclist who um, ride at any level and what i've discovered because i'm i'm coming at this from a very low level is that good fueling um, really helps you whether you're going quickly or slowly um, whether you're going a long way or a short distance um, you don't have to be a world-class cyclist to fuel properly when you're riding you can still feel the benefits so go to scienceinsport.com and you can get 25 percent off with the code siscp25 well Lionel, we've left sicily for another year i had vowed this year well to seek out some of the places in Sicily that people have raved to me about before and we've we have had so far not been able to enjoy in previous Giri we headed to the sort of southeast triangle of Sicily these places again that um, I've heard great things about Modica, Ragusa, Siracusa and our evening in Ortigia was certainly very memorable we had some great food um, last night I had a lovely pasta dish fusilli with asparagus and wild mushrooms and pistacchio, which the pistacchio nuts are very well, very famous in Sicily. They're grown around the base of Mount Etna. A place called Bronte is very famous. Nothing to do with Charlotte or Emily. Um, but it's famous for its pistachios. I found out a fascinating fact about pistachios today. They, um, they're harvested biennially. Does that mean every two years? I hope it does. Biennially. I think it does. Um, not every year because in the... Well, in fact, in Sicily, there's a well-established pattern of harvesting pistachio nuts only on odd years. So 2019-2021, this year, there'll be a break. Because on even years... They, the plants have to recover trees, I guess. Plants, trees. Um, they, they're very susceptible to parasites. And in order to purge the trees, the plants of the parasites, they need to take this break um, every other year. Did you know yeah. that? Well, no, I didn't know that. Uh, a member of the cashew family. Did you know? Wow. There you are. Wow. There you are. 
just very quickly, Daniel, and we've been to Sicily quite a number of times. I mean, that's my third time on that ferry across from Messina over to Calabria. What's the deal? Why is that? There's obviously some kind of arrangement to keep there bringing is, the Giro is. back here. There is. And, and how long has that got to go? Do you know? You're asking me questions now that I'm not, I'm not prepared to answer. <laughs> Pre- not prepared as in I haven't done the necessary research. There was a long, there was a long-term deal which was talked about again last year, I remember, when when the plans were afoot again to come back to Hungary and, and things were still being moved around due to changes during the COVID season and things that couldn't be done back then and can be now. I, I have to say, coming into Messina, some of the roads felt a bit better than they have done. They've obviously done resurfacing works here and there, perhaps as a result of the Giro being here over a number of years, but still... I mean, some of, some of the bangs and jolts when you're driving on the roads, the exposed manhole covers. I mean, sometimes I'm thinking we, we're we lucky to get away from here without a puncture on our, on our hire car. The roads are not in great nick. The rubbish around is uh, unsightly. Um, the buildings, as we said the other day, some of it you wonder how the local authorities and the national government are going to regenerate some of these areas because they've got, less than a decade's life left in them some of them well Lionel it's a place definitely of light and shade and you can lean into one or the other and with that in mind I thought it'd be good for us to talk about someone who is very well versed in those well those contrasts in Sicily in our case of wine this year our Giro case with Divine Sellers we've got a bottle from Etna it's a red wine called Le Vigne Dielli. We talked about it in our pre-Giro episode about the Selezione Simpatica wines. But this gentleman has also been very instrumental in setting up a an initiative which aims to tackle precisely one of those problems that you just mentioned. And in fact, it's a problem that Jakob Fulsang, no less, mentioned at the Giro a couple of years ago. The rubbish on the roads. This gentleman is called Christian Listro. Um, he's the international sales manager for the well, the, the wine, the winery that produces the wine I just mentioned. Let's hear from Christian now. I'm Christian Listro. Uh, I was born in uh, Syracuse, in Sicily. Uh, I'm uh, the international sales director for Le Vigne di Eli Estate and Tenuta delle Terre Nere Estate. Uh, I'm a member of the board of the Strada del Vino e dei Sapori dell'Etna, which is uh, uh, the association that has covered uh, the, and developed the project uh, of uh, Etna Ambiente, uh, dedicated to, to deal with the abandonment of the rubbish on the road. When I, when I, I'm around doing the tastings, uh, I normally say that Etna, it's not Sicily, uh, meaning that uh, Etna is a completely different microcosm uh, in everything, in terms of soil, in terms of weather, in terms of uh, structure, you know, of, uh, of the soil, because it's not flat, so there are a lot of terraces. It's an active volcano, so we have ashes falling almost every day, and ashes are like a natural fertilizer. We have a lot of rain, we have snow, you know, it, all elements that it's nowhere to be found in the rest of Sicily. So it's, uh, and in a way, geographically, the Etna is kind of separated from from the rest of Sicily because it, there is a, a river, which is the Alcantara, that cuts the northern slope 
uh, and then there is the Simeto that goes through the western and southern border of Vietnam. So actually, Vietnam is pretty much an island within an island. So the, 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 the wines here are completely different. And that's a little bit explains the success of, you know, Etna wines, uh, which are really more uh, related to, you know, to the taste of the times, which goes towards wine with more acidity, with more freshness. The name of the app and the project is Etna Ambiente. And, and the idea was to convert basically all the uh, the mobiles that is in, you know in everyone's pocket into a pair of eyes, you know, to help uh, the local you know community to intercept you know uh, people who who commit fraud uh, by this, you know, by leaving the rubbish on the streets rather than you know calling you know the. Uh, you know the, the township to 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 recover it. It's a it's an it's an ancient legacy. It's something that you know might explain why you know in uh, in Japan, you know, uh, the fishermen still do this. They gather huge layers, huge trays full of everything, and they throw it in the ocean. You know because of the, you know they always used to do like this because you know 50, 60 years ago. Everything was non-plastic, you know, not organic, but you know, it, it can it can degrade, uh, you know, with the time. And the metals were very precious, whatever metal. So there was no waste of it. So the actual, you know, rubbish was wood and organic stuff. So and this both, you know, on the streets and in the sea, you know, would completely disappear mm. on, in some time. But with plastic. You know, things, you know, have changed and uh, and this doesn't go away. Actually, if it degrades more, you know, it becomes nanoparticles, which enters the soils and, you know, give more and more damage. So this is a very, very tough battle because, uh, you know, when you had to fight with all habits, especially with the older generation, it's uh, something that is so much consolidated in their behavior that it's, it's actually very, very difficult to to dissuade them, but it's very, it's very uh, effective with the new generation. The apps has been extremely successful. Uh, we had uh, uh, more than 1,000 cases uh, signaled. We had uh, roughly 300 abuse that were sorted. We had four people which were condemned by the tribunal. We educated 15,000, so our bet is on the new generation. So, Lionel, I thought that was fascinating. The app that is, well, it's the policeman in everyone's pocket and it's helping to stamp out this issue, which, as Christian said, is a deep-rooted cultural issue to do with the, the rubbish. You'll often hear it's to do with the mafia, but he says that's that's not true. That's a misconception. It's generally, um, it's, it's for historical reasons that that has become a problem in Sicily. But the light and dark of Sicily, very much in the former category over the last 15 years, has been the, the home hero in cycling at least, uh, Vincenzo Nibali. Well, he has. I mean, I just want to say about the the fly tipping, I mean, some of it is extraordinary. But then when I think about where I live in Hertfordshire, the lanes are often blighted by fly tipping. I mean, I've cycled past uh, pretty much an entire kitchen that had obviously been ripped out 
uh, loaded into a van and then dumped in a lay-by on uh, you know what should be quite a pleasant Hertfordshire lane. Um, so it's not a problem that uh, you know I'm, I'm kind of pointing the finger at Sicily for, but it is noticeable just how close to the town centre just the rubbish piles up. Um, there's, there's just a sense that um, a little bit of neglect, really, and, and and I guess a sort of you know it doesn't seem to be that high up the list of priorities to get things tidied up. But anyway, other parts of Sicily are absolutely beautiful, and then of course we come across here to Calabria, and I mean this, I mean this is a. Uh, this is a lovely little one-night uh, respite, one-night break for us, isn't it, Daniel? Lovely. Yes, it is, Lionel. Respite. Do you know who's going to be having a lot of respite? Vincenzo Nibali, because he's retiring. He made the announcement today, after the stage finishing in his hometown, Messina. And it's a big moment in Italian cycling, isn't it? Oh, it's a huge moment, isn't it? Because Nibali has been their Grand Tour star for more than a decade now. I mean, he turned pro in 2005 for Fasabortolo and then he cemented his place in the uh, World Tour. Fasabortolo cement, right? Yes, very good. yes oh, thank goodness for that. Uh, and then he was, uh, well, he was firing all, on all cylinders for liquid gas. Uh, then he joined Astana. Bahrain. He was cooking on gas for liquid gas, wasn't he? He was cooking on gas for liquid gas. Astana, Bahrain, Trek, and then back to Astana. You've run out of puns now. I've run out, yeah, for his final season. Won the Giro d'Italia twice, of course, 2013 and 2016, which was the first one that we covered daily for the cycling podcast. He won the Tour de France in 2014, and before that, he won the Vuelta in 2010. And so his career straddles this kind of huge dotted line in modern cycling history the before and after of the Lance Armstrong reason decision and uh, to add to that he's won the two biggest Italian one day races as well Il Lombardia twice and Milan San Remo once very memorable win in Milan San Remo wasn't it it was Lionel and I think when you talk about Nibali you have to talk about that historical context and he has been so important he's been the sole standard bearer really at the at the at the very top level of international cycling in the last few years and even prior to that and he did turn pro at possibly the worst time anyone could turn professional at 2004 it was and well we remember what was going on internationally you mentioned Armstrong there at that at that moment in time there was a whole generation of Italian riders who were who were riding high around about that time but who was subsequently exposed subsequently disgraced and well Italian cycling was pretty much raised to the earth wasn't it raised to the floor and from those ashes Nibali has has risen and he has distinguished himself in grand tours as you say he's distinguished himself with his style of riding his panache his flair he's excited the Italian public for well over a decade now and has come through with a with a, an untarnished record on the credibility front. There have been various attempts over the years to link him to doping scandals, um, doctors of, of ill repute, of dubious reputations. Nothing has really stuck. There's not really been any substance that anyone could identify with any of it. And he has had a fantastic, he will have a, a fantastic legacy, as I said, particularly because he's been pretty isolated. And one does wonder, one does worry, there was a piece in Italian, in um, La Gazzetta dello Sport, um, a couple of weeks ago, about the sort of scarcity of Italian talent at the, again, in the, in the most rarefied air of professional cycling. You know, this was a, it was a, 
there were some controversial statements from guys like Beppe Saroni, who was uh, one of the Italian greats in the 1980s. That reminds me, actually, we were on the boat earlier with Francesco Moser, who was his historical rival. But um, Saroni was decrying the awful state of Italian cycling. Um, and this was met with some opposition and some pretty disgruntled reaction among people who are much more involved now with things going on in professional cycling. They said, well, Saroni doesn't even know what's going on. He's kind of, he's been pretty much out of the sport for a long time. But certainly, when you compare Italy, a great cycling nation with places like Slovenia, um, Colombia, and, and other relatively less, well certainly less storied, less distinguished cycling nations, then things aren't looking too good, are they? No, I mean, he leaves an absolute vacuum when it comes to Grand Tour contending at the moment for Italian cycling, doesn't it? I mean, there are a couple of, well, Filippo Ganna is an absolute star. Um, Alessandro Covi, I think, has got a lot going for him in one day races and for stages he's kind of like a he could well be a kind of uh, Diego Ulisi plus but you look at the list of Italian pros at the moment and think where is the next contender for a top 10 really coming from well, and it's scarce isn't it yeah I mean I was speaking to Frank Contador we didn't hear it earlier but I did speak to him about lucky Lorenzo Lorenzo Fortunato who won on the Zonkalan last year there were high hopes that he might finish high up on GC in this Giro but he's well outside of the top 10 at the moment the, the team Aeolo Cometa still thinks that he could finish in the top 10 he's certainly not renouncing his GC ambitions but as you say the well the cupboard is fairly bare at the moment but do you know who else it will leave a void for this announcement today and we should specify that the announcement is that Nibali will retire at the end of the season yeah he's not retiring today no, he's, he's going to do tomorrow's today <laughs> and neither is the gentleman you'll hear from. listeners uh, good afternoon good morning good evening good night from messina i see the sea in front of me and i don't see any longer the shark in my eyes from next year on because she announced that this season will be the last one uh, maybe you are wondering about my feelings uh, well I would like to say, first of all, certainly it has been marvelous to write about a so great champion in these uh, almost 20 years. My first article on him was in 2004. And the Tour, the Giro, San Remo, Lombardy, also his defeats as Olympic Games, uh, Worlds in Florence. But I don't want to talk about this Dear listener, because this is not the point. The point is, Vincenzo, do you know how many days I have spent 
in the mountains to follow you, to be your shadow and not on a beach. This is my eternal regret, Vincenzo. Well, I don't know whether you've heard, Daniel, but Chiro's retirement plan includes going up to the Paris Olympics in 2024 and then calling it a day. I mean, what will he do with himself? I mean, it's unthinkable. No Chiro, no Giro, of course. Well, Daniel, another sprint stage tomorrow. I mean, it's less difficult than today's, isn't it? There is a climb at the start, but it's not as difficult as today's. And we're making our way up Italy. And it really feels like the Giro is into a bit of a rhythm now, especially now we've got across the Strait of Messina. I uh, should say kilometre zero returns tomorrow. We've got a two-part deep dive looking back 10 years to the 2012 Giro d'Italia. That, of course, was the ding-dong battle between Canada's Ryder Hezidal and the Spaniard Joaquin Rodriguez. And, of course, it was Canada's Hezidal who won it at the finish in the time trial. Uh, one of the closest Grand Tours of all time. And I've spoken to... Uh, Christian van der Velde, who was well an integral part of that team, the Garmin team that helped Hezidal on a really incredible stage uh, on the Stelvio, the penultimate stage of the race. I've spoken also to Jonathan Vorters, who was the uh, team boss of Garmin Barracuda, remains the team boss of EF Education Easy Post, the same team to this day, and also to Charlie Wigalius, which was extraordinary because that was his first Grand Tour as a sports director. He must have thought the job was easy. Anyway, two parts this, because it is quite a deep dive. There's some really interesting memories of that race, uh, including the thoughts of Daniel and I. So we'll release that tomorrow, Thursday and Friday morning. We've also been getting our dispatches from our Giro diarists, James Knox of Quickstep, Pavel Sivakov of Ineos and Ben Zwiehoff of Bora Hansgrohe. And we're gathering those together. We're putting some into the nightly episodes, but we will also put together an episode of Kilometre Zero just to tell the story of their uh, respective Giros, Giri, I know. And well, before we go, the Giro del Buffalo, Daniel coming across to the southern part of Italy uh, brings back memories of the very first Giro d'Italia that we did daily for the cycling podcast and as I've said before that was thanks to Science Sports sponsorship they came on board and gave us the finance to be able to cover the Giro as well as the Tour daily and the start was up in the Netherlands we all went to that didn't we and then you went home and Richard I and to, I I went back to cut up Rob Hatch's mattress that's what I was doing (laughs) so that's why because when I look back at that I think what on earth were we thinking leaving the Italian team leader at home while Richard and I flew down to La Mezzia Terme picked up the Maserati crashed it into flower pots poor old Rob Hatch when he commentates tomorrow all anyone will be able to think of will be me with a pair of tiny little scissors (laughs) chopping through his foam mattress Anyway, uh, the memories come flooding back uh, when I listen to this extract that you've snipped out of our 2016 coverage for the Giro del Buffalo. Il Giro del Buffalo, remembering Richard Moore. So here we are, Lionel, uh, Tuesday evening, just after stage four, relaxing discussing who might win tomorrow in Benevento and you know I really fancy Andre Greipel for that one mm, nailed on I'd say 
So that was Lionel and I chatting on Tuesday evening. Here we are on Wednesday. And just like Daniel Freib's uh, correct prediction that Diego Lucy would win on Tuesday, I correctly predicted that Andre Greipel would win in Benevent on Wednesday. Remarkable mm. record. That's two Abs- out of two for absolutely. us. It's your turn tomorrow, Lionel. Rem- remarkable stuff, Who do you Eric. think will win tomorrow? <laughs> Put me on the spot there. I think tomorrow um, Tom Dumoulin will win. Okay. Mm, not sure about that. Anyway, my name is Richard Moore. I'm with Lionel Burney. Hello, Richard. And our stagiaire, Kaylee Fretz. Hello. Kaylee Fretz from Velo News, of course, who uh, has joined us on the podcast before last year at the Tour de France. And we're hoping you'll be joining us a lot more at the Tour de France this year as well, Kaylee. Um, Dove siamo, Lionel? We're outside a little bar in Benevento. And this really is my image of southern Italy when we were talking to Daniel about uh, what southern Italy would have in store for us. This was the image I had. You know, it, it's bustling. Some of the buildings are pretty run down, but it's, it's teeming with life. The traffic jams and uh, the, the number of p- people out having a drink or some ice cream or some frozen yogurt, I think, down there. Um, it, everyone's been enjoying the Giro d'Italia here. Uh, quite muggy and a bit overcast here. It's not as warm as it was yesterday. Which is w- <laughs> So we both chose to wear shorts, eh, Rich? <laughs> yeah, we wore shorts and the temperature dipped a little. Uh, first day in shorts, so uh, you know we're, we might be tipping the r- correct winners of the stage, but we're not getting everything right. Oh my goodness! <laughs> look who it is, Lionel. It's it's Ned Bolting. Goodness me! Hi, Ned. Oh, have I just given the game away? No, no, no. Spoilers are fine. If people are listening, they should expect spoilers, really, because we are going to be we are talking about what happened in the stage. How are you? How was it for you today? Oh, it was screamingly dull, wasn't it? Great. You're really selling things here. <laughs> it was. It was. They got it all wrong. I think they've got a lot right so far on the Giro. But all the action was. We had the King of the Mountains in the first 35k that television missed, which would have been a flicker of excitement. Then those four got up the road. We missed the two intermediate sprints that weren't terribly interesting anyway, and we missed Daniel Oss crashing as well, which was quite interesting. And then we had 90 kilometres of absolutely nothing before it all kicked off, and then it was quite interesting. Well, Anyone that- ever seen Daniel Oss and Daniel Freeb in the same room? What about, have you done the aerodynamics of hair billowing out of the back of helmets? Save that for a podcast some other time. We've got the right well, man for lot, that. Though. We've got lots to talk about here because Kaylee is our equipment man and he is going to, we're going to be talking actually about motors and bikes. Ned, thanks very much for your cameo. We'll give you a call later for dinner perhaps. As I said, Daniel, it all comes flooding back. Kaylee Fretz there. We launched his career as a podcaster, now works for Cycling Tips, and they do a, a podcast as well. Ned Bolting, a broadcaster, remember him? podcaster. <laughs> you remember him? Yeah, he's here, obviously, of course, commentating on the race for the host broadcasters. Um, but my outstanding memory of that night in Benevento is that we came back to the press parking and our gleaming white Maserati was parked in the corner and some teenagers were basically gathered around it. Some of them were lounging on the bonnet. You say that with su- such contempt. You were a teenager once, Lionel. I was a teenager, but I never sat on somebody else's Maserati. <laughs> yeah, in the 70s, get out of it. Um, anyway, as we walked towards the Maserati, this group of young lads, uh, they clocked that we were heading towards it, and they did kind of get off the bonnet kind of slightly respectfully and they parted ways and let us get in the car I think they were slightly disappointed at this sort of two early middle aged as we were then men uh, both of us Celtic and pasty not kind of glamorous and Italian looking we got into the car uh, but Richard revved up the engine and gave it a throaty roar and they gave us a round of applause for, for just driving an iconic Italian car 
um, and they, as I say, parted the ways and, and we drove off into the night. Uh, very fond memories of uh, of that duo with Richard, but just a sense of cluelessness, really. We didn't understand the duo in the same way that we understood the yeah, Tour of or, or the way you understand it now. I mean, how things have changed. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the I mean, loaded. As sunglasses float float <laughs> off towards the Strait of Messina. <laughs> oh, the, 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 the contempt with which that was delivered down here, honestly. I've learned a bit more. Um, I know that you don't have a cappuccino after 11am here. I mean, even me. Just on that, actually, in Catania this morning, we met up with Jared Smith, uh, one of the founders of MAP, one of the two founders of MAP, the clothing company that we partnered with this year. We're really looking forward to unveiling a bit more about how that partnership is going to take shape later in the summer. Um, And it was just a real stark reminder to me that MAP as a company is a year younger even than the Cycling Podcast. I mean, they've grown a bit bigger than us. They've got 50 employees. Uh, But I spoke to Jared about the company's origins and the story behind the company's name and also the inspiration that he takes from visiting a race like the Giro and where MAP wants to go next. And, uh, well, I really enjoyed the conversation. I recorded it and I'm looking forward to playing a bit more of that in our MAP sponsored slots over the second half of the Giro as we lead towards um, this big reveal of our collaboration. But, Daniel, we should probably wrap things up we should Lionel you need to get your swimming trunks on your goggles I've gone off the idea of wading in there now and I, I can't be like Baywatch in here in a minute I can no longer see where the sunglasses are Buonasera a tutti The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore Daniel Freib and Lionel Burney